Hello and welcome to Tess Podagogy. This is the podcast which brings you everything that you need to know about teaching and learning produced by the editors and writers at Tess. Now this is our last episode of the current season and over the past five months we have brought you interviews with leading academics and had some brilliant debates about pedagogy. We've also re-released some of our archive episodes to return to the research which really matters to classroom teachers today. Now, our last guest is a brilliant one. As you know, I'm Kate Parker and I'm a features writer at TES. And this week, I'm joined by Alex Quigley. Quigley leads the development and quality assurance of tools, resources and training at the Education Endowment Foundation. And before this, he was an English teacher and director of the Huntington Research School in York. He is the author of several books, including Closing the Vocabulary Gap, The Confident Teacher and Closing the Writer Gap which was published this year. Now, in this episode, Quigley talks all things reading comprehension and looks at how easy it is to teach in secondary schools, what research shows are the best approaches to building students' skill in this area and how it should be assessed. So reading comprehension is crucial because ultimately the school curriculum is mediated by your ability to read and your comprehension. So for young and older students, your ability to read and, and you know, take meaning from the page to create this kind of mental model, this real strong understanding of, of whatever's um, being communicated. It could be about photosynthesis and science. It could be about um, a story in English. You need to be able to read, read, lift those words from the page, make rich connections between them, create this fuller picture, this mental model, and then crucially, that the stronger your reading comprehension, the more likely it is you are to remember and to understand what you've read. And and one of the issues around the school curriculum is we're always dealing with complex, tricky language, specialist vocabulary. So your ability to read allows you to, you know, jump over those hurdles and it allows you to make sense of school. Mm. I guess that's why you hear so much about um, when young when children are going to high school, um, you know, aged 11 or 12 and they are below the expected standard or they're really struggling, a lot of the, it's not just an English teacher problem, it's kind of an issue for, for all the teachers in the schools because they can't necessarily access the curriculum in this, in that particular subject area. Yeah, I think I'd probably even challenge the notion of it being the English teacher's problem. I think the biggest problem um, is for those, all those teachers who, who aren't English teachers where they're teaching their subject it's full of complex language most pupils haven't fully been exposed to a primary school because of a different curriculum and so your ability to read worksheets in business studies and and computer science and the textbook in biology and physics they're some of the biggest hurdles for pupils in secondary school so actually reading everywhere else but English probably should be more of our priority because I think within English you know it's baked in in terms of you know reading and, and you know, unpicking Shakespeare, I, I think there's certain subjects that are better set up to tackle um, the reading comprehension challenge. So, of course, in modern foreign languages and secondary schools, well, you have to go back to basics, back to vocabulary. So the act of reading, you do break it down almost naturally in terms of your curriculum. But in lots of subjects, in some of the hardest subjects, secondary math, secondary biology, and computer science, we've got subjects here where reading's incredibly demanding and often pupils are struggling with really new language and, and new texts. 
And how much, you know, from your experience, um, you know, working with teachers and schools as you do, how much is that prioritised in those other subjects? Do you think like, you know, maths and science or geography, history, you know? I think in truth, in truth, there's always been a long-standing recognition that, you know, those basic skills, being able to read and write the three hours, they've always been something every teacher recognises are important and school leaders and secondary schools recognise. We, we have to make sure they can, you know, secure these seeming basics of, of reading and writing. But there's a big difference between kind of paying attention to it, understanding it matters, and then actually teachers being able to make practice changes in response to struggling readers. So, you know, when you hear about those kind of national um, assessments, so, you know, from year six SATs, around a quarter of students don't meet expected standard with reading in year six. So straight away, you know, regardless of your views of that national assessment, you know there's a substantial number of pupils in secondary school who are going to struggle to read. I think for most secondary school teachers, they're probably aware of that problem, but le less, in, certainly in my experience, less training and less practice is tailored towards making sure the curriculum is accessible. Um, I think there is a reality of the past couple of years where um, it's a bit of an inspection priority in secondary schools about particularly struggling readers accessing the curriculum. So I think that's, that's pushed it up um, in terms of profile, but still there's that lack of often confidence and lack of knowledge from teachers about what do we do when a, a pupil's a struggling reader, you know, and I'm a science teacher. So how easy is reading comprehension to teach? Does the research tell us anything that particularly needs to be considered? So I think we know a lot about reading. It's one of those areas that's been well researched. Um, there's always some gaps between how exactly do you teach reading in history in year 10 and you know that real level of specificity. But I think what we know about reading is it's a skill which is a composite skill. So you need to have good vocabulary knowledge. You need you have reading fluency where you're able to read aloud and, and bridge to comprehension. You build your reading skill by reading different types of text. So textbooks in science and history have got their own specific structures and, and features. So we almost know the, the moving parts for reading comprehension. And that's where in schools, the likes of vocabulary is a popular kind of approach because it's one of those key threads that we can kind of address in terms of improving reading comprehension. So if we can find those composite parts and then recognize for some pupils where they're struggling, so they might lack that breadth of vocabulary, they might not be strong readers where they, they lack experience of reading, background knowledge of the world that's so important for geography tasks and reading for example and we get that composite and then we have to kind of break it down into small steps in the classroom I think where the benefit is for reading comprehension is what makes for better reading comprehension and teaching in a classroom is probably what makes for just high quality teaching and that's explicit breaking down of, of complexity into smaller steps so if you're in geography and you're reading a complex you know, case study about um, you know, a, kind of a city in India, well, that obviously puts a demand in terms of background knowledge, knowledge of the world. It puts a demand in terms of vocabulary and probably unfamiliar vocabulary, unfamiliar mathematical kind of information. And you've got to navigate different graphs and different you know, ways that you read 
in geography. So I think most geography teachers would naturally take in that case study of a, of a, you know, a foreign city would break it down and they'd activate some knowledge about what do we know about this place? You know, what do we know about these themes and ideas that we know from geography already? Are there certain words that we pre-teach and kind of just unlock a little? Um, so I think ultimately what, what is good reading comprehension practice is good explicit teaching, breaking down into small steps. What I would say is if you're reading extended texts, if you're reading kind of multiple sources in history, if you're reading a textbook chapter in chemistry, that does seem to put some specific barriers in place um, where, you know, the vocabulary of science is uniquely challenging. You know, you've got all those big dense nouns that you've got to unpack. In mathematics, your reading challenge is slightly different. You're not reading these paragraphs and, and lengthy texts, but you're reading often having to read very carefully dense short questions with with multiple steps and and with some very unique language in mathematics prime factor etc that means one thing in maths and it means something else in a history classroom so breaking it down to small steps explicit teaching will go a long way to supporting every people with their reading comprehension in secondary school but the teachers also need to know about the specific language and reading approaches in their specific subject because ultimately in secondary school, reading becomes so complex that you have to you have to have that subject specificity and that curriculum awareness. And I guess you're saying then about you know the pre-teaching. So how much of this then is about say you're at the start of a new unit in maths or science, whatever it is, and how much of it is kind of you know going through? So this these are the sorts of vocabulary we're going to be coming up against and having that real clear vocab list and doing things like that before then actually moving on to times when they actually have to you know read the read the textbooks or resources or whatever yeah I think it becomes quite subject specific but I think the general principle is that for every topic in the secondary school curriculum there's a cluster of conceptual important words that pupils definitely will need to know you know, if you're teaching photosynthesis, you need to know that and you need to have a, a related number of words that you really strongly understand. I think what we need to be careful of is trying to kind of limit everything down to a word list. And I think you can't pre-teach everything. Sometimes you can only, you know, offer a small number of words that just get people's entering into a text and, and trying to make sense of a text. In subjects like English and history, in particular, you can't pre-teach all the words of a Dickens story. You'd never, you know, you'd never get past page three if you were trying to pre-teach all the words. So there's a degree of selection, almost keystone vocabulary that you know is really central and that will get people's thinking about the topic a bit more fully, you know, fill in some important gaps, address some misconceptions. And then as you're going, pupils need to have those reading comprehension strategies where you know they're asking questions do I understand this word or phrase have I met this before in, in in the biology curriculum do I really understand this word in maths and what it's asking in this question you know our area and perimeter what are the differences and what are the similarities so this is the problem I think that as as you're reading in secondary school it's sophisticated and slightly changes in those different subject areas. The principle of pre-teaching a small number of high value words 
that will unlock lots of other words is is pretty key and, and, and well established. I think we need to be wary, though, of thinking that, you know, a, a 30 words on a knowledge organiser leads to understanding for reading, because often it doesn't, because even the definitions of those words are so tricky. So there's a there's a balanced approach needed for pre-teaching. And if you sometimes you just want to create a bit of suspense, you want to create a bit of engagement. You know, pupils are wondering what's going to come next when they're reading about a historical period or they're reading the, you know, the, the Shakespeare play. So sometimes there's a text specific reason to hold something back and that would build their motivation and want to know more as well. So it's a tricky one, but generally some pre-teaching is usually an important part in breaking down the complex act of reading into small steps. So clearly access to complex texts is really important when it comes to building students' reading comprehension. But in schools, are pupils exposed to these texts enough? Quigley looks at some research from the US around this and explains how it could be related to schools in the UK. Yes, there's really recent US research from Christy, Marie and colleagues, and it's about teachers' text use in middle school content area classrooms, i.e., you know, all those subjects we've talked about, science, history, geography, etc., and those non-English um, subjects. And what that evidence shows is that in the US, pupils don't get exposed. And in middle years is kind of key stage three for us, at the top of key stage two. Um, they don't get exposed to a lot of full complex texts. Instead, they kind of get simplified worksheets, PowerPoint slides, etc. And I think, although there's not robust evidence to you know, state the same definitely happens in English classrooms, you know, a lot of what I see in terms of working with schools and looking at the curriculum and how they mediate reading, PowerPoint is a go-to resource. And a lot of the time we are simplifying text because, you know, we talked about all those children joining year seven, not at the expected standard of reading. Well, most teachers aren't going to throw them in the deep end with complex text. So we get in this habit of using simplified, you know, text, PowerPoint slides, you know, that that, that kind of um, rush for dual coding, which is still really popular, you know, kind of images and, and graphics, et cetera. And, and these can all have add, added value in terms of just breaking things down into smaller steps. I think what happens because we get on the treadmill of the curriculum and we're having to cover content, but actually we don't quite get to the extended complex texts. So in history, we're not quite reading that you know, resource where you've got multiple historians building a sense of, of a period. Instead, you're getting that one bite-sized snippet of a resource. And, and I think that, you know, we replicate likely in England what's happening in the US, what's happening in Australia, because as you get to this stage of schooling, reading's really tricky. Lots of students are struggling with it, so we make it easier. I think the crucial kind of step we need we all need to take is to support teachers to walk our pupils into that complexity scaffold those complex texts break them down into smaller steps and and that comes with training and it comes with a lot of language awareness that most secondary school teachers admittedly don't quite have so i think you know the evidence from the us is interesting we, we we're not necessarily imitating it over here but i think in lots of cases there's that awareness. And it's interesting over the last couple of years with the kind of curriculum emphasis in schools, a lot of schools have moved to booklets. 
instead of you know kind of singular worksheets or, or PowerPoint slides. And I think even that's just one step closer often to more extended complex texts of thinking and crafting the curriculum. And of course, textbooks often you know build that in, but that's where things like cost come in. And, and I think there's definitely a cost in terms of financial cost about having new high quality sources and books that, that, that will be a struggle for school. I think a reality is there's a hidden opportunity cost that for most teachers, they're already really busy getting through the curriculum and that trying to integrate new booklets, new resources, new extended texts is just hard work. We haven't got much time to do it. And so it doesn't get ingrained in our habits. So although cost is an obvious barrier, I think the more, you know, kind of real barrier is, is the struggles our pupils face and the struggles of our teachers to integrate this type of more tricky task into their curriculum and into their teaching, because it's not easy. I guess that's, the, you know, you're talking about ha- having that having that knowledge and having that language knowledge to be able to you know spend the time in in looking at how you do that and if you're saying you know across each subject it's so different for each subject it means that like as a secondary school you can't put all your teachers through one lot of training on this it needs to be surely very subject specific training so that as well must be a huge barrier in that like you know it, it is is there good quality subject specific training out there for teachers on things like this or is there a bit of a gap in the market there is probably a gap. I think one of the things that I've noted, so um, a couple of years ago, we produced the Improving Literacy in Secondary Schools Guidance Report. So it's part of my role at the Education Endowment Foundation. And recommendation one is about disciplinary literacy, i.e. that yes, literacy has lots of common underlying foundations and roots, vocabulary, you know, reading comprehension, you know, the, the same barriers for pupils in a, in a range of subjects. But the model of disciplinary literacy indicates that you start to branch off into these specialist areas. That guidance report and the notion of disciplinary literacy has been really well received. There's lots of schools and trusts who are working on that, seen projects and partnerships on that. So I definitely think that that's developing. It's something that began um, or, or, or certainly well developed in the US and you have professors like Professor Tim Shanahan and Cynthia Shanahan who've been working on this for years. Um, so you're seeing some pockets of good training, pockets of, of models that are, are really useful. I think there's a real acceptance that reading is really hard in secondary school. Some of our students are particularly really struggling. We want to do something about it. I think you're right. There is a, a, a gap and a bit of a barrier of doing good training. I think the disciplinary literacy model is helpful. So the roots and the trunk of disciplinary literacy are parallel, you know, things like vocabulary. You know, things like um, reading different types of text, etc. Um, and so you can do whole school approaches to reading comprehension, reading strategies, building background knowledge, curriculum, vocabulary. But I think the crucial step where I see it working best in most schools and, and secondary school trusts is where they're doing central support and central training, but they're also offering time and scaffolds and supports for middle leaders and teachers in those subject areas so that so then you can see how that takes a school structure a trust structure that's very supportive it's there's a bit of delegation and there's training for middle leaders so that's not easy so so there is a gap i think um there's work to do but there's real pockets of excellence as well it just needs to be 
it's something that's a bit more systematic. And there's another piece of research from the US which Quigley says is interesting for UK teachers to be aware of. This is around the important role of vocabulary in reading comprehension, especially for disadvantaged pupils. I've written about vocabulary and its importance for a number of years and lots of great researchers and writers, Isabel Beck and McEwen, and, and there's lots of studies that show the correlation between vocabulary and reading, vocabulary and school success. So British cohort study from you know 1970s, the Millennium cohort study, you see lots of evidence that vocabulary matters. You've also seen, I think, a bit of a backlash in terms of, well, it's not all about vocabulary, and, and that's true. And also, are we stigmatizing families and are, are we kind of labeling? Well, I think actually we should be sensitive to that. We should be sensitive of stereotyping and not fixing any attitudes about pupils because of you know their language ability. But the reality is, if we're talking about secondary school, the specialist language of school, you know, your photosynthesis, your factorization, all of these you know, barriers, they matter. And we know that pupils need to be able to switch their codes in these different tricky subject domains. So vocabulary, central to reading comprehension, and it's central to building up the, the development, particularly of pupils from uh, backgrounds where they don't have easy access to books and to reading. And they don't have that easy access to holidays and museum visits and these these cultural supports that give you that rich background knowledge and, and language that means it's easier in the classroom because you're you know you're accessing some of the same topics and same domains. There was really interesting research again from the US, so we should always kind of you know make appropriate judgments about the differences and similarities. But it was about vocabulary knowledge and reading comprehension um, and how it was accounting for those some of those socioeconomic differences. And it was by Schneider et al recently and what they showed is across a whole set of age ranges vocabulary was that constant association with understanding word meanings and with reading comprehension it was that kind of central plank of background knowledge of of the world worldly knowledge you need to tackle all these unfamiliar topics again not the only important facet but certainly the evidence just repeatedly tells us it's really central and what they showed is that again it matches socioeconomic status broadly so some children have lots more supports you know book ownership all of those things we've, we've just mentioned and others don't have those supports and that over time plays out and it means you're able to have the language of the classroom or not and I think what was an interesting part of that study is it showed that this was particularly strong for younger children. So for primary school age children, children below 11, that the vocabulary was even more marked as this kind of central indicator of your ability to read and comprehend. And, and that makes sense because actually, you know, for younger children, they need, you know, they can have those more direct supportive, explicit instruction around language. As you get to secondary school, the texts have multiple barriers. They are longer, they've got different features. Reading mathematics isn't just about word knowledge. So there's some specificity about vocabulary in secondary school, which means that perhaps pupils aren't so sensitive to our teaching of vocabulary like they are when they're in primary school and younger. I think 
although that may be true, reading comprehension and accessing these texts is part of our daily business. So vocabulary is one of those better bets to support pupils to improve their reading. And you know, we see it all the time in the most obvious ways. You see it in GCSE exam questions, A-level exam questions, where certain general academic vocabulary throws our pupils. So if they use a word like liaison technology, you know, how many pupils understand that word? It can just easily just lock you out of, of accessing that exam. So I think vocabulary is clearly a match with advantage or disadvantage. It's something that we can work on and pay attention to, although it's not the, you know, the whole game of, of reading comprehension. I think, you know, we've talked about busy teachers often not feeling wholly trained and often struggling with lots of pupils who've got reading comprehension barriers. I think vocabulary has been so sticky because it's manageable and it's meaningful. So they're seeing differences. And I think, you know, we can't fix everything with any degree of ease, but we can make meaningful steps. And vocabulary seems, you know, the evidence seems to indicate it's a good valuable step and it's part of a complex picture to address reading comprehension. All of these techniques are things that teachers can do within the classroom to build students' reading comprehension. But what can a school do when a student needs extra support beyond this? For the past five years, Quigley has worked with Professor Jesse Ricketts and schools across Blackpool for the Blackpool Literacy Project, which looked at how schools can improve the lowest attaining students' literacy, including reading comprehension. Some of these schools took children out of lessons to deliver specific targeted intervention, is that the best approach? So that's a really good question. And I think targeted intervention, uh, the, the key is in how, just how targeted it is and, and the choices you're making around it. So, for example, for those schools in Blackpool that, that Jesse was talking about and that I've, been, I've worked with for four or five years now, those pupils who are coming out in year seven, the, the platform here was really high quality assessment and diagnosis as early as possible. So those schools working with primary schools before the pupils ever get to them. But then particularly in year seven, quite significant intervention, because if people's got a reading age of, of six and seven and eight and nine, but particularly, you know, reading age of seven, that they're so substantially behind typical peers going to secondary school that them being in all of their classrooms they're struggling so much that actually having having them go out of classrooms it's never something is ideal but it's necessary it's just necessary because otherwise they're not accessing the the teacher's explanations about biology they're not reading the maths questions adequately they're not able to you know read those historical sources i think of course for at that extremity that then it's appropriate, but you still need to find that channel back into the classroom, back into the school curriculum. I think one of the paradoxes where you've got pupils who are just below that kind of waterline, struggling a little um, with reading, if they're missing their geography lessons, well, they are missing crucial background knowledge and concepts and vocabulary and geography, so that when they go back into it, they're kind of still running to catch up. So I think where schools have been sensitive to this issue they identify early they're using you know appropriate good assessments in year seven and they're probably not just relying on sats actually they're being more bespoke than that they're being really precise about the literacy barriers of their pupils and they know that early there's some kind of quite significant fast intervention in year seven 
perspective, if they're not decoded, if they're not lifting words off the page and reading them aloud, then they need immediate support and attention. But then there's careful building into them not missing the same curriculum time. So, you know, can you have a targeted intervention that is happening before lesson time? That's a really common approach. But then if you are going to have lesson time, and sometimes that is a necessity, you're going to alternate that through the through the term. So you're not going to hit the same subject area four times in a row. And then that child's going to be baffled when they're trying to read a text in RA that they've missed for a month. So I think there's a there's just some necessities about intervention for some pupils, but we shouldn't lose sight of one of the key factors, one of those key composite aspects of reading comprehension is your background knowledge, is that domain knowledge. So if you're missing it, then you're getting some good supports over here, but then you're falling back by missing those lessons. So there's a delicate balancing act. I think what I, I've definitely been heartened. I work, I, you know, work with lots of schools, and that I think that bridge, that transition into secondary school, is an area that people are paying a lot of attention to because, frankly, they have to. Otherwise, pupils are not just not accessing the secondary school curriculum. So I think I've seen a more systematic approach to that. But it's such, uh, you know, a problem that. It's, it needs more work and it's not going away anytime soon. You know, we can look at the, the impact data around COVID and the pandemic and from children, you know, from year two upwards, we're seeing that particularly disadvantaged peoples, you know, that gap has widened for them. So I, I think this, this issue might be even more acute um, in the coming years and, and therefore we, we need to get better than ever at addressing it. I guess such a key part in addressing it as well as ensuring that the staff that do the interventions are specialist and highly trained and really able to help those children because and actually affording to be able to afford those staff as a, as a school that's that's tough isn't it you know it like that's really hard to get those specialist staff yeah so there's a, there's a lot in there but ultimately we know from kind of ef trial after ef trial that so much of the crucial support factor is well-trained school staff and we look at teaching assistants in particular so you know we've learned over the last few years that teaching assistants you know if if they're in this position where they're velcro with one student and they're not necessarily trained to be kind of supporting and kind of building independence actually they're not so impactful and yet, if you offer high quality training to a teaching assistant, if they've got one, maybe two programs, they're getting sustained continual training around that they can have a really big impact. And so, you know, it's about intervention for some pupils, but it's also about that quality in the classroom. I think one of the issues, which is quite natural, again, everyone's so busy, is that you can do a really good quality reading intervention in year seven. Pupils can read more fluently, et cetera. But then if the teachers in every lesson aren't then picking up on the same teaching approaches, the same small steps, then actually that people might just kind of end up back where they started a little. So there's some realities about everyone needs some shared training. Some colleagues need really precise training. So I was working for, uh, I, was, I was speaking at um, a, a school trust over at Wakefield and Doncaster yesterday. And they're a large trust. And one of the things they did in response to the pandemic was they employed tutors a bit more directly. 
and, and really focused on literacy and reading. And, and by paying that, it, it did cost money and it was challenging. And, and we know about getting cover and shooters is not easy, but they actually went to train a specific group of staff who all got the same high quality training. There was real fidelity to the reading programs they were focused on. And they were seeing those differences in their schools and they couldn't not do it. That was that was the issue, really. It, without that almost extraordinary additional specific supports, just so many pupils would not be accessing the curriculum. And what starts to happen is there's academic failure, but there's also lots of other, you know, related consequences about school absence and you know motivation as you, be, you know, as a teenager, you know, behavior in classrooms, all of those other related issues that if you don't address, if pupils are going into school, not accessing the, accessing the curriculum, it just has a compound set of issues and problems. So high quality training of teachers, of teaching assistants, specialist, you know, intervention coaches, you know, effectively everyone needs to be on the same page. And it, it's such a central barrier and or support factors to school success you know, it's where our attention should lie. So when we look at assessment and reading comprehension then, what's the best way to do this? Is it something that should be assessed when children very first arrive at secondary school? Does it need to be assessed throughout their time at secondary school? So it's a tricky one. I think if it was an easy one, I think we'd all be doing it in the same way. I think what you described there about the baseline assessment, you know, the start of year seven, you know, for some pupils a little bit later too, um, I think it's familiar that schools will use standardised assessments and, and there are standardised reading comprehension assessments. They offer you reading ages, they offer you a kind of, you know, a kind of a, 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 an assessment that gives you a, an, a rank order, it gives you a sense of where pupils are compared to average pupils across the country. And that's helpful and I think necessary. And, and we often, we're thinking about that, you know, that third or more or, you know, a quarter of pupils who are particularly you know, at the bottom of that distribution who need extra supports. But I think what quickly happens is that lots of teachers, they might see something like a reading age, but it doesn't make any meaningful change to their practice. So, you know, your reading age is two years below. So what, what do I do about that? And, and reading ages aren't quite sensitive to the curriculum either. So I think you, you kind of indicated that we need both. We need those ba- good quality baseline assessments, but we need to understand their limitations. And we need to use them as a, as, as a, you know, a bit of a rough baseline. And then we need those subject specific assessments. And then there's some elements of reading we can be a bit more specific about. So if I dig into that a little, again, let's go for those composite aspects of, of reading. So we might do vocabulary quizzing. We might do um, subject specific questioning about text. We might do fluency assessments. If we take reading fluency, so reading fluency, that ability to read aloud with prosody, you know, doing the appropriate stress, the appropriate pacing, etc. What good readers do if you're listening to, you know, kind of Harry Potter, Stephen Fry gives this amazing reading fluency performance. Now, we know that reading fluency is both a support for reading comprehension. The better you do it, the more you comprehend. But it's also a good indicator of comprehension. So you can... You know, you can use diagnostics like the multidimensional fluency scale, big name, but it's a really simple diagnostic tool. You can sit with a pupil in year seven or year 10 and have them read aloud a couple of paragraphs and get a sense of their fluency. 
You can look at things like words per minute and get a sense of their reading rate and their fluency. And that feels like a very small part of reading, and it is, but by narrowing our focus, we can actually identify, well, they're not reading with fluency. That means in most subjects, they'll be struggling with comprehension. So we can zoom right in on language and vocabulary. We can zoom in on reading fluency, and they can be a bit general and give us good indicators about you know, what we need to do across the curriculum. But then for reading comprehension, we always have to be specific about comprehending subject-specific texts. In subjects like history, RE, English, that's almost the job of you know, the exams anyway, where you're writing about what you read. Um, and so there's a degree of comprehension there. So I think that subject-specific vocabulary knowledge, that subject-specific reading sources, reading texts and showing understanding is part of what we do. I think the one caveat around subject-specific texts is often we can, if they, you know, if they can answer that, it's a judgment of their reading. But whenever you're doing one of these assessments, you're writing. So writing could be a constraint for some people. So, you know, if you, it could be handwriting, it could be, you know, kind of um, handwriting stamina. It could be that they're struggling to phrase their ideas accurately. So if you are doing reading assessments, actually, you've got to be thinking, well, are there any limitations in terms of writing? And, and these are the factors. So this is where you get into that kind of complexity of literacy. And it feels like it's just everything. It feels like it's every aspect of teaching and learning. And to some degree, it is. But we can shrink it down to careful diagnostics for reading comprehension, some of which are general, fluency, vocabulary, standardized assessment. They will tell us some things. Some of them are very subject specific. The vocabulary of those subjects, questions about understanding in those subjects, Every one of those assessments in its own way is useful, but in its own way limited. And that's where, if we're training teachers about this you know, crucial gateway into the school curriculum, that is reading comprehension, we need to train them to make these choices around good diagnostic assessment and understanding what a good standardised reading assessment is too. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tes Podgogy and thank you for listening for the entire season. We hope that you have a wonderful summer break. Thank you. Today's episode of Tes Podgogy was written and hosted by Kate Parker. If you're interested in accessing all of our education news coverage, you can now get a digital magazine subscription for just £3 for three months. It's available on tes.com forward slash store.